There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk The Go Radio Business Show with Sir Tom Hunter. So there should be somebody with power in the Scottish Government who's just said you're the one-stop shop to get wind farms sorted. And Lord Willie Hockey. I've just created a device that hopefully will reduce people's energy use by 15 to 25%. With Workflow Solutions. Good morning, Willie. Good morning, Thomas. So I don't want to be like a broken record, Willie. But I want to go back to the fairies. I read this week, and I had to read it twice, if I'm honest with you. They've used the wrong steel. I had to check it wasn't April the 1st. I mean, how? I'm beyond words here, Willie. You deal with a lot of construction business. How, how can you have got it so wrong? They're now saying the two fairies are going to be over 400 million of our money, it's taxpayers' money, just four times the budget. They're having to spend £35 million on a redesign. They're going to carry 300 less passengers between them. And they carry, because of the design of the ferries, they're having to alter Ardrossan Harbour because the ferry that they've designed can't get in there. What is going on? Every week we think we've heard the last of it, right? And another horror story comes. Now, I've seen that this week. I've read the headlines. To be fair, I never read what it had to say below because I'm kind of fed up about the fairies, right? And I think that if this is true, Tom, this is a fundamental failure, right? And this is something that you can put right at somebody's door, right? Accountability. Accountability. Talk about there seems to be no accountability. And to be fair. So Jim is asking for, you know, another you know, is, yes. an investigation into what happened, whatever. But if this is true, you, you, you've you got to look at whoever was manufacturing, I'm going to call it now the tug, right? Because that's what it's turning out to. But here's Para the, handy. Exactly. But here's the saddest thing. It's sad when you talk about public money in the realms of 400 million and you say it's now laughable, right? Yes. But here's the sad news. Apart from all the things that you've just said, I can guarantee you, by the time this... Ferry is finished. That the technology on this will be outdated, right? Things will have moved on. That will not be a modern ferry. You're not cheering me up, will it? Seriously, I think that this is the straw that broke the camel's back. The public now should be asking for an inquiry into the incompetence of this project. So, I mean, what happened? We had a great history of shipbuilding. We led the world in this, and we can't build two ferries. I, I honestly don't understand it. And we gave Turkey a contract to build another two ferries. They seem to be on time and on budget. Is that what this country's come to? I'm appalled, Willie. Well, if you take that and you go back to the news that we exclusively revealed last week about we're potentially going to issue bonds or kilts, as they were called, not kilts. Kilts versus gilts. Yeah, I like kilts, that. So, aye, something kilts, a sense of humour. Kilts versus gilts. If we were serious about that, right, 
think in the last two major projects that we were responsible for under the Scottish government, one was building the Parliament building. Ah! Six times the cost, and I don't know how late it was, but three or four years, whatever it was, right? And now the ferries, right? Apart from anybody maybe not want to invest in kilts or bonds in Scotland, right, for major infrastructure projects, how could you trust us to deliver one? Maybe we can get the folk who did the trams in Edinburgh, will I? Well, I, I didn't <laughs> want to mention that. Right. But we don't seem to have the capability to deliver these projects, and that is a scandal. And we need to dig into it, Willie, because it's our money that's getting wasted here. The poor folk who can't heat their homes or whatever while public servants fritter away money on ferries and deposit return schemes. It's ridiculous, and I'm really annoyed about it today. I think this is a wake-up call, and this is affecting everyone. This is your tax dollars that are being wasted, absolutely wasted, and this farce is going on and on and on. And the sad thing is, I don't see any end to this. No. Well, it's about competent people, it's about accountability, it's about people standing up and saying, yeah, I'm responsible for this, yeah, my head's on the block. Because in private sector, you wouldn't last a millisecond with this. I've got an answer for it. You've got an answer, good Aye. Willie. Just let's keep it as the biggest duke it in the water. Let the pigeon stay in it. <laughs> with the painted windows. Anyway, council tax freeze, Willie. You would think it would be a good thing for a first minister to stand up and say, I'm going to freeze a council tax. People are struggling there's a cost of living crisis. We understand that. But, I mean, the local authorities have gone a bit tonto, as they say in Glasgow. But I began to look into it, Willie. And through our foundation, we work with a lot of the public sector. But one of the things that's happened since devolution, actually, since 1999, with 150,000 public servants, public sector, employed by the public sector in 99. Today, we've got just under 250,000 people. Now, what are they all doing, first of all? Are they being effective? Are they being accountable? Because, once again, who is it that pays for this rise in this employment? Are we paying for people to sit at home? Are they working from home? Are they effective? These are all the questions because... We can't just keep pouring money into this. If the public sector in Scotland is bigger than the private sector, that is unsustainable. What do you think? Well, a couple of things on that. What makes a mockery of the launch of the 10-year economic growth plan that Nicola Sturgeon announced about, what, 12 months ago? She's got Patrick Harvey standing beside her saying, we are totally anti-growth. Right. <laughs> yeah. Now, the problem with that is somebody has to explain to Patrick, which we're going to explain to the listeners now, right? It's the private sector, it's entrepreneurs, it's businesses that create the funds through taxes that pays for the public sector. Here, here. But the bit that I don't get with this revelation for you this morning, there's 80,000 more civil servants than there was in 1999. 95,000, yeah. We've got the police saying that they've been reduced to numbers that they've never seen. We've got the fire people going and going straight because now it's a danger because of the cutbacks in the fire. If your house gets broken into the day, the police don't come. They phone you and say, has anyone been injured? No, here's a crime number, give it to your insurer. Right. 
we can't get our bins emptied in time. All the services that we're paying for, our roads are a shambles. Potholes. Right, potholes. <laughs> All the things that you look for as a citizen that's paying their taxes, our services are getting worse and worse and worse. So we need to ask ourselves, what is the 95,000 people doing? Yes. So I would say, ask the First Minister to say, right, we need to have a look. We're saying every time I get into a meeting with a public body, oh, there's no money, oh, the budgets are cut. So say, right, okay, how are we spending that money? Is it value for money? And are the recipients of it getting what they really want? Because, again, our foundation worked with a local authority where we asked the people were, that that authority was supposed to be helping, of all the of all the services that are offered here, what ones actually do you get and help you? And the answer was 45%. Wow. So we can't just keep going, oh, the budget's this, there's another 5%. There's, let's look at the efficiency of the budget. Let's see what people are doing. Let's see what people are delivering and make people accountable. We keep seeing every week that we don't want to get involved in politics. We right? keep saying it, yeah, but, we, the, but, we keep but all involved. these things that we're talking about has an effect on business and on enterprise, right? So take two announcements. So the one from the first minister in relation to the rates freeze, right? That was nothing to do with the economy. That was a tip bit that we're giving you a carrot, so we're great, so come and vote for us, right? Your friend, Richie Sunak, done the exact same. <laughs> Never what, met him, Willie. Right, but what they're doing at the moment now, we're refugees, and we'll talk about it in a moment, right? So suddenly now, what I've decided overnight is to cut all the funding for all these refugees that are in hotels, right? So 50 straight away. But what they're doing is they're pandering to the voters. They're pandering to the Conservative voters. And what the First Minister in Scotland's trying to do is to get people to say, oh, look, here's a big handout for the SNP. It's not, right? It is not. And, and and the fact that he makes that announcement and then you've got every single leader of every council jumping up and down saying, you've got to be joking. You've got the unions jumping up and down saying, you've got to be joking. How can you actually contemplate a race freeze, right? When everybody's at your door looking for more, right? It's impossible. Look at your door, look for more. You're a poet, you didn't know it, Willie. I'm going to take us back to business and there's some good news from across the pond, Willie. Yes. I know you listen to Bloomberg. I listen to CNBC. And the American GDP continues Amazing. continues to defy. And everybody thinks, oh, well, China's a superpower coming up. We've talked about it. America keeps going. And um, Amazon, which is now the world's biggest retailer, used to be Walmart, Willie, yeah. which you know well. But Amazon beat its third quarter revenue by 13%. Now, these are huge numbers. In one quarter, Willie, they turned over $143 billion. But their net income, they trebled their net income during that time. Yeah. It's a retailer and it's an advertising business. But they did look at their costs. They decided who was working, who wasn't working, and they laid off in the past six months, 27,000 people. But my point here is, right, what does that mean for people who are striving here in Scotland? It basically means that there's a lot of doom and gloom about, and you know, you, goodness, the Middle East, my goodness, they're poor people on both sides. The Ukraine war, we don't hear about anymore. Yeah. Those poor people. But entrepreneurs get on with it. They just find a way, Willie, 
And the other good thing is the European Central Bank held its interest rates. First time. At 4%. So, and amongst all this doom and gloom in the geopolitics, entrepreneurs are getting on with it. I mean, what's your take on the whole thing, Willie? Well, this is a big, big point, right? And I'd mentioned that the experts saying that, that China were on schedule to overtake the US by 2032 as, as the world's lean super. I don't think that'll ever happen. Right. I think that, that America has proven in the last 18 months the resilience of their economy and the belief that other people have in investing with them. So I think that this is great news. Growth of 4.9% in the moment, we, we, we've had the perfect storm leading up the last couple of years, is absolutely phenomenal. And I'm absolutely delighted, delighted. I mean, what other country with 2.7 trillion a debt can go to their parliament this week and ask for 100 billion to send to Ukraine and, and Israel and Palestine? <laughs> right. So, I mean, that's the strength of America. And I think we all benefit with the strength of America. And we should certainly, you know, after Brexit, we should do everything in our power to get those ties between the UK. If we're allowed to do it in Scotland, we should get even more and more tied. One of the ways that Scotland could jump in the bandwagon on this good news is, again, is to invite all the people in America who would love to get involved in investing ESG and renewable energy, have a seminar, invite them all, put on the red carpet, have a big line eagles, come and show them how wonderful Scotland should Showcase be. Scotland. Leading the world in renewables. So, Showcase Scotland. So, absolutely. There's a bit of good news there, and I was pleased that the ECB held their rate, 4%. Yeah. November the 2nd is the next rate setting by the Bank of England. And, I, I, you know, would the governor listen to this show a better, because he might learn something? I would say we got to hold the rates. Our economy can't take another rate increase. You know, unemployment's just ticked up in the past quarter, Willie. 4% to 4.2%. I feel things slowing down. People out there speaking to me saying, oh, well, there's so many people picking the pocket of the consumer just now, Willie. You know, mortgage, energy, et cetera, et cetera. I would just say, hold the rates. There's a lag between when you set a rate and its effect on the real economy and we need to hold our nerve here. Is that what you think, or you got a different I view? do, and I think the point we've been making over the last couple of weeks is that the next problem we're going to have is the employment rates are going to go up. More and more people are going to be unemployed. Yeah. And I think the indicator over the last couple of months in relation to the slowdown in, in house building, yep. house building used to be the indicator as to how the country was doing, yep. you know, before the fintech explosion. Indeed. And I think that now I'm hearing more and more stories, Tom, over the last few weeks about the slowdown, people can't get mortgages, people not buying houses. You know, a good friend of ours who owns a furniture shop, you know, tell us that he's not getting any young people coming in that have just bought a house. Right. Right, you know, he's doing well. Selling first-time buyers, Willie. He goes, it's just as if someone had turned a tap off. You know, that there's reputable builders closing down sites at the moment, closing their sales huts, stopping contractors. So um, I hope that this doesn't grow and grow. But at the moment, I think that um, leading up to Christmas, the point that you've just made, that we're going to see signs that the unemployment number is going to rise and rise. Yeah, so the housing market is a good indicator of what's going on. Every major house builder in in UK actually has has slowed down, and there's never been more need for housing, Willie. Really. Yes. So the the supply demand doesn't make sense. So I think if the Tories want to stay in power in Westminster, they're going to have to come up with some way of helping 
first-time buyers yeah. of helping the housing market because if we can lead every economy always comes out of difficult times is led by the housing market yeah. the construction jobs apprentices Willie, all the stuff that you talk about so that's something i would really implore rishi sunak and hamza yusuf to have a look at how do we get that moving again? So that leads me into a story that I've seen this morning. Midlovian Council now have went back on their idea about passive house was, passive the, house, was yes. the you know was the way forward for net zero. And I've got to say they're absolutely correct to do this. Yeah. Right. The, the 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 cost of building a passive house you see is like way way beyond. It's double what they were told and yes. what they thought. But more than that. There's absolutely no way that a passive house reduces your energy by 80%. Right? It might reduce your energy, but nothing like that percentage. So I think the people, I, th I think it's great when politicians put their hand up and think we may have got this wrong. They're accountable. Absolutely. Right? I love and, it. I, and I think it's great when people do that. And they should be encouraged. And as you say, the starting point for any energy saving is insulation. Yes. It's, it's not difficult, Willie. Correct. It's insulation. Yeah. So, are the politicians listening? Have any of them been down to your new development just well, across the road? Over the last um, few weeks, we've had I've had Zoom calls, I've had uh, Teams meetings with everyone right. you know, from Neil Gray, and and I appreciate how much that the government are interested in what we're okay, doing. Great. Right. So well, let's had, give them a well. A, we've had Scottish Enterprise, Adrian Gillespie, Willie Watts coming to see me, great. Professor Jim McDonald, all the guys. So on the development we're doing at the moment, there seems to be a lot of interest and a wee bit of excitement, especially right. in what we're doing in energy reduction yes. without having to spend 150000 on on a house. So I think the answer is yes, I'm encouraged by it. Great. I'm obviously very encouraged by what Keir Starmer and, and Annis is saying in relation to Labour's you know, approach to housing going forward. You're right. How can we be sitting here talking about issues when the biggest issue we have is in housing, right? And yet that we can see here just now there's a slowdown in building. Yeah. Well, another major problem, I've just seen it this week, that we said about the moves that the Tories are making in relation to refugees. This is politics getting involved in business. So they looked to private enterprise to come up with a solution for all the people that were homeless, all the refugees that came. Right. So they decided, if you can get us accommodation, you know, we will, we will guarantee you to give you tenants. Companies went out, you know, went out and bought hotels, went out and bought blocks of flats, right, to put all these refugees in. And they were all getting guaranteed, right? So Glasgow would take refugees, Susan Aiton's been out complaining about it this week, would take refugees knowing that the money was all backed by the UK government, right? Overnight, they've switched to tap off. Right. Switched to tap off. So they're saying, we're going to close these hotels down, we don't care. And what they've done, Thomas, this is amazing. If you're an asylum seeker, and you are waiting for a decision on whether you can stay in the country or not, uh -huh. right? The government have, have to pay for your accommodation. I see. Right. The minute they agree that you can stay, they're not on the hook to pay for your accommodation. So okay. you just, so the point that Susan Aiton was making is, you then go from having a house, getting put out to go down now and go on the homeless list. There's a vicious circle here that's being created by this, and this is not the answer. Right, it's just by saying, right, we're not going to use these hotels because we need to do things cheaper. We need to find a solution. The one thing we have to do right now, this is sad, I don't think Glasgow will be taking any more refugees when they're not getting paid for by the UK government. Right, okay. Well, that's 
I, I don't know much about that, Willie, but that sounds another huge issue to solve. So let's see. Can we end on a high note? Um, I've got a good bit of news, actually. Up in the Nig Yard, which is up in the north, Sumitomo Electric want to build high-voltage subsea cables, Willie, and they reckon there's going to be 150 jobs created there. So these are the sorts of things that we really need to encourage. So good luck to everybody up there. Let's hope Sumitomo end up in the Nig Yard. I would like to finish the know another wee positive story. Great to see we talked about AG Bar last week. Yes. They're on the acquisition trail, bought another company. So good luck to them and good luck for the expansion of the great iron brew manufacturers. Your other national drink. Coming next at Hunter and Hockey, chat to Derek Pierce, managing director of JD Pierce. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions, part of the Scottish procurement framework for managed print solutions, available to all public sector bodies and charities. Go Radio. There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security, and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs, saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work-from-anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. This week's special guest is Derek Pierce, Managing Director of JD Pierce, the foremost structural steelwork contractor in Scotland. Derek, good morning and welcome. Good morning. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Morning, Derek. We've got an airshirt by you on this morning. I think morning, I'm delighted. Billy. I think an I'm, I, I, boy. I'm absolutely delighted, but I feel as if I'm surrounded by the airshirt mafia. That's it. Yeah, you, you, you just behave yourself now. It's very apt talking about the wrong steel. We've got a steel magnet on this morning. A steel magnet. We've got the fridge magnet. <laughs> now the steel magnet on. Yeah. So yeah. the first question this morning is, is, if you're building a ferry, how do you get the wrong steel in it? Or you just tell me to shut up, Willie? Um, <laughs> I'm no a ferryman. Right. We're, we're a, a buildings person. I don't think they are either. I'm a pro- probably not. No, we're, we're a buildings person. Not a ferryman, but you're right. I heard that there's lots of problems in, in yes. that part of the world. So Derek, it's brilliant to have you on this morning. I know you were with us this week with the Ayrshire Chamber of Commerce over at Blair with a good old blether there. So twice in the one week, you're getting fed up the sight of me. Yeah, it was good. But tell us your story because I think the listeners will be fascinated from the humble beginnings and now the size of your business. It's amazing. Give us a wee bit of the background. Uh, well, the background is my dad was... Uh, she metal worker to trade. He was made redundant in the middle of 1975. I was about seven or eight at the time. I don't remember him being redundant. I remember him being home a lot. It was obviously hard times for him. We lived in a farmhouse um, in North Ayrshire, about five miles away from the, the town. Yeah, it was it was difficult times. He was unemployed for about, I think, about six months. And in that period, I remember, it was good fun for me at the time, but probably terrible for him, going to the shops and the push bike, you know, and, <laughs> at night. And if it was a, a wet night, going over the hill to the, the farmer over the hill to get a lonely tractor to, to go to the shops. <laughs> um, I remember one point he... He, he rigged this car battery up and this big headlamp in the front of the bike to go to the way to the shops himself in the middle of the uh, late, late on the night. So, yeah, it was really hard times. 
I'll be truthful, I don't remember them being hard. We never needed for anything as kids. It, you know, it wasn't as if we had no shoes or stuff, you know. So, but it was it was difficult times. He couldn't afford a car on the road. And he decided that he would start for himself. I started doing gates, railings, that sort of, just general blacksmith stuff. Right. Uh, from the, the wee workshop at the, the side of the house. And he'd done that for you know, five, six years, and then I left school 1982, um, and if there's any kids listening, this is not a good role model, I detested school, I never sat my exams, <laughs> I left before I left at 15, much to my mum's uh, dismay, uh, I left in the January, but dad must have been needing a hand, because I would go every weekend for the, you know, since I was seven or eight as I say um, every weekend and holidays and give him a hand so when I left all I was ever going to do was work with my dad that was all I ever wanted to do and um, I served my time as an apprentice uh, fabricator welder right and we started our first employee in 1985 so was that with your dad yeah right okay yeah. and it was just you know hands on you know, long days, long, even longer nights, so to speak. And yeah, it was a it was a hard old time and money was tight. I mean, money was obviously still very tight. There was only two of us and we worked long hours. We had a, I wouldn't say a contract, but we had a, a association with the High Stuff Hotlift Factory in Irvine at the oh, time. Right. Yeah, I remember that. And yeah. we went in and we would work in there uh, moving our overhead cranes or crane gantries, all that type of stuff. But they would work, their day shift would finish at five o'clock, but their overtime would go to seven. So we would go out during the day, we would work, do our job during the day, eight o'clock to six o'clock, come home, get, get changed, because you were usually filthy. And then you'd head to Heister for seven o'clock, and you would work in there till 11, 12 o'clock at night till the night shift came in. We'd done that, <laughs> Dad and I had done that for years. And then it continued when uh, Alec, our first employee, who's still with us, um, Alec's yeah. still with us, and Alec's my brother-in-law, he ended up marrying my sister. So, <laughs> uh, Keep it the family, Dave. He get more than an apprenticeship. <laughs> um, but Alec's our skills development manager now. He looks after all the apprentices, and we do a huge amount of apprenticeship scheme and upskilling in the business and Alec looks after that. Right. So you were you were working hard. I mean, that's the yeah. first thing is is that there's nothing beats hard work. Yeah. I think we all come for that sort of background. But when did you begin to see, right, there's something, I can work a bit smarter here. I, I can't work any more hours. But when did you see there was the opportunities, Derek? Coming up through, I mean, in 1994, we had about 10 employees um, right. We had we moved into the, the the workshop we were in was getting demolished and we had to move. We moved into a, a, a building in the old Glengarnock Steelworks, which was six thousand square feet, and uh, we had about ten people, as I say. But when we moved in there, Dad said, "Right, I want you into the office." I came off the tools. I came into the office. And they must have had a huge amount of faith because he said DPS estimating was on the door of the office. Now, we were not a top-heavy business. There was only dad and two <laughs> two uh, admin girls in the office. Dad used to do all the drawings, all the technical drawings for the right. for the, for the, for the, the workshop. I came into the, the estimating, if you like. It was only me estimating. And because there was somebody continually looking for work, it helped develop then, you know. Right. I came in and, and, and back in the day it was get the yellow pages out and look for contractors and main contractors and, and get names and try and get tenders in the door. 
So I would do that and develop that side of the business um, to try and get just business development, so to speak. But we'd do that in the morning and then I'd go around all the sites in the afternoon making sure that this, the guys, the plant, the equipment, you know, all the material was all ready for the next day. And then you come in the next morning, half past six, our guys started at half past six in the morning, the, the site guys. You got all the site guys away to work in the vans, get them away to work. You go back in, you would do the tender that you were working on yesterday. Hopefully your prices would be back and all sorts. You'd pull the tender together, get the tender letter sorted out, put the tender letter out and then get around all the sites again for tomorrow. So you've done that cycle for a long time. Um, what, what do you think was the, a, a, if you could put when was a big break back in the early days uh, that gave you a quantum leap in the size of the business? I think uh, probably with a big break, there was a company and there was a company in Lachwinach, yeah. Beachburn Engineering, and we used to do bits of subcontract work to them, and they get bigger. And then they dragged us along and we got a bit bigger. And unfortunately, went, they went bust along to, uh, a few years after that. But we continued to grow. So the type of work and the type of information you gained, if you like, being involved with that sort of engineering business was yeah. good. But I can't really come up against any one thing, eureka moment yeah. where it was, we've got a leg up. It was always just long hours and hard work. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So, I mean, give the listeners an idea of the size today, Derek. Well, the company today is 525 employees, 160 million. Wow. Um, Glengarnock factory is 330,000 square feet in a 34 acre wow. uh, <laughs> a, a, a facility. I bought the old Coney Crane factory in 2000. It's 300,000 square feet and 10 acres. I've got an office in Scarborough that does the design and build. So we do lots and lots of these distribution warehouses. Uh, if right. you're going down the M1, the M6, you'll see First all these huge... Amazon, All these Amazon-type, DPD-type, big distribution. Uh, we do lots of them. So the Scarborough office is a design and build division. So they'll get a drawing on that's basically a pretty picture. It's got wee men at the front of the <laughs> at the front of the, the front door and wee trees drawn and stuff. And what we'll do is we'll take that concept and make a, a skeleton, if you like, to hold it up. We'll do the, the full design for the, the steel frame. So we do lots of that. Uh, Durham office, open Durham office in 2021, after we get East Coast Ride up and running, because I could concentrate on advancing the bridge side of the business. So bridge and infrastructure, if you like. So we do lots of bridges and, and that type of thing. East Coast Ride was a fantastic facility. We could manufacture beams up to 50 metres long to transport on the road up to 200 tonnes wow. because of the lifting capacity up there. So we do lots of, of bridge work up there, lots of fancy bespoke fabrication. I launched a plate girder business called it True Beam. True Beam is basically flat plate cut into strips, welded together to make a, an H-beam eye section, if for a better word, at any depth, any thickness. So generally these big heavy beams go to like tower blocks in London or tower or, or heavy, heavily loaded uh, structures. So we make lots of them and we sell them throughout the, the country to basically our competitors, to be fair. Right, yeah. okay. Whereabouts in East Bride are you? Peel Park. All oh, right. Yes, yep, it's Peel Park are. right across from the Arnold Clark. I know exactly where you are. Right, yeah, it's good. Yeah. And, and one of the things... I was struck with Derek, and this will be close to Willie's heart. You've got about 50 apprentices just now. Yeah, we've got about 50 apprentices. 
but you know, we were walking through the workshop about twenty years ago, and it was it was like Dad's army. You know, I think, <laughs> and a lot of people get that problem. A lot of people have got a problem where everybody was, you know, late fifties into sixties. You know, we we really thought we need to do something about this, and we started our own training school. And now our average age in the whole company is, you know, mid to late thirties. We have it's cost us a fortune, you right. know, bringing bring their guys through. We have our own training academy. We we don't send them to college. We do our own day release and our own training academy right. and bring them through that way. We were finding that, and everybody will be finding this, uh, that, that sends kids to uh, to college, that you'll get attendance in the morning and an absenteeism in the afternoon or vice versa, or they don't go at all. It's a, it's a wee day out to them. So to combat that problem, we just brought it all in-house, done our own training. So, so this is interesting. What do you think of my idea where I'd be lobbying, you know, hopefully a Labour government to encourage apprenticeships within all, and I'm talking about bona fide apprenticeships, engineering, building, whatever, that companies should be allowed to put any cause for an apprenticeship against tax? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've spent probably hundreds of thousands of pounds, hundreds of thousands. What, what we do is we... I bet when you work out, you've spent millions. Probably. <laughs> You're probably right. We've got an initiative. We call it a, a second chance apprenticeship. Yeah. Um, and some guys have actually, they've dropped out their apprenticeship. They come back. Because guys are doing their apprenticeship, 16, 17, 18. You know, we've all been there. It's all... It's, you look forward to a Friday night and it sometimes <laughs> runs over to a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night. And sometimes they drop out. So what we've done is we, we brought this initiative, we've called it a second chance apprenticeship scheme. Right. Mature apprentice. We call it, that's what we call it, mature. So they'll come back in, we, we try and grab boys back about, um, or people back, because it's more than just guys, we put people back about 24, 25, we'll, we'll bring some people in, we'll put them with a tradesman for six months or so. And by that time, you'll know whether they're going to make it or not. Yeah. And nine times out of 10, they do make it because... These guys all realise now they've generally got a family, generally got a house, have generally got responsibilities. And when they were 16 and 17 and they were getting £3.50 an hour being an apprentice and their pal was getting 10 or £11 being a labourer, I'm going to wait to be a labourer. But now he's 24, 25, he's still getting 10 or £11, but his pal's now getting 20, £22 because he's stuck with it and, and, yeah. and served his time. Yeah. So... We give these guys, if you like, bring people in and give them a second chance. And we find the second chance apprenticeship trainee scheme worked really well. Yeah, and same for us, same for really us. Really well. And we bring in, in, in the recent years, that we've brought in a, a lot of, you know, ex-military guys, ex-army guys, disciplined, they know mm -hmm. about coming to work, and that works out really well for us. Uh -huh. And bringing out ex-engineers from, you know, from the forces is phenomenal. No, you, that, that's funny you should say that. We struggled to get ex-forces. We tried to get ex-forces yeah. to come in, particularly on our site side of yeah. things, where guys are working away from home a lot. As you say, yeah. they're very disciplined. They're used to being working yeah. away, but we really struggled with yeah. it. Tell, tell us a wee bit about investment into the company. Investment into the business is homegrown investment. You know, we've never had any grants. We've never had any support from any <laughs> Scottish government. Just got or... Uh, any other uh, institution. Dad, he, he retired in 2013, March 2013, he right. retired. You know, we'd, we were, by that time, we were doing 18... He must have been proud of what, the way the business was uh, Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, by that time, we had 140 people. We were doing about 18 million a year. I 
went forward with the business. I decided that I want to drive it forward. I want to become a national company. I want to be, you know, John O'Groats to Land's End, so to speak. We worked hard, again, doing the business development, chasing contractors, south, north. And there was an office block next to our factory. It was kind of looked out a place to be fair. It was this fancy office block they built um, 2003 or something. It had been empty for about five years. But it had a caretaker in it, and it was, it was in cracking order. So anyway, I cut a long story short, I bought the office block. It was right next door to our factory. So that was about a 50,000 square foot office block. There was a 15-acre site behind there that Dad had actually tried to buy from Scottish Enterprise, but it took them about 14 months to, to, to conclude the deal. <laughs> so both of these came together kind of kind of together, and I built another 180,000 square foot of factory on that and joined the two factories together, so it became right. 330,000 square feet. We then invested in an automated uh, fabrication line, that was about seven million pounds. And it's uh, the most uh, automated line in Europe. You know, that put the throughput in Glengarnock to about a thousand tons a week. A thousand tons a week of a steel frame, you know, a lot of people not know. To put that in context, if you look at a B&Q, which is one of these sort of builder yard type buildings, we'll do the equivalent of two of them a week <laughs> through yeah. the factory. Right. Right. So. You know, going on from that, we invested, again, as I said, the, the Scarborough office. We've got about 20, between 25 and 30 people down there now. I invested in East Kilbride, bought the East Kilbride factory, spent about £10 million on the refurbishing and new, new automation in there as well. We've now got over 100 people in that factory. That was a factory that I was told by Scottish Enterprise I've not got a lot of mileage when I asked them for a bit of assistance. So... Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it was just get on and get on and do it yourself. So with huge amount of investment in the business, huge amount. And what's the ownership of the business today? The ownership now we were acquired twenty twenty two. All right, eighty um, percent, and I still own twenty percent. Now that took me a long time. So how did you come to that decision, Derek? They, that's what they offered. I was quite happy because... Were you in the market to sell? No, I mean, what we looked at was, right, they came along. It took us a wee while to think, you know, am I going to do this or am I not? Because a, it was a, a big decision, big, huge decision. But looking at it, when I eventually decided that, right, it is the right thing, I'm thinking part of a bigger group will help us with acquisitions. To, to grow the business and help us more on the overseas side of things, which has done, to be fair, we're, we're looking at projects in Sweden. So 80% and... so of the company is bought by a Swedish... Company. A Swedish investment, yeah. yeah. And they're, they're, they're an infinite business who buy well-run, well-managed, highly profitable businesses and have no intention of selling them. I think they've got about 135 businesses. Wow. Yeah. And were they in the same marketplace before? Did they have... A no, they're very diverse. They're right, very, so very investment. Diverse. Yeah, they're investment. very diverse, but they've got a lot of fabrication companies throughout Europe right. as well. So it's great because we're 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 collaborating with them. That, yeah, yeah, we're collaborating. Yeah. And you've you've stayed on. It's your management team. Yep. So you're getting the best of both worlds. Absolutely and best. Have the money men left you alone, or have they added value? Yeah, they've added value, but they've very much left us alone. You would get a call once a month for fifteen minutes, and as I say, yes, it's very much um, it's very much best of both worlds at the moment. Right. And I'm looking forward to the next fifty years of uh, success. So, so in, in the last sixty seconds, don't be ashamed to tell the listeners 
what the company's about and how if people want to use you, you get a wee bit of marketing here. Yeah. Yeah, well, Giant Day Pierce is, is we're now one of the top three fabrication businesses in the whole of the UK. Brilliant. We specialise in distribution warehouse, bridges, infrastructure and special projects. We've just finished uh, Liverpool's new football stand at Anfield Road. We do lots of stadia, lots of aircraft hangers. Anything at all, arenas, anything at all that's uh, bespoke, specialist, distribution. We don't sub anything out at all. Everything is all in-house. So we're um, we're very proud of what we've, we've achieved. still Ayrshire-based. Still Ayrshire-based, proud of it. Good man. Colburnie-based. Colburnie, yeah. <laughs> good man. But it's fantastic, you know, going away back to your dad in adversity. Absolutely. You know, just been laid off. Back to the wall, I'm going to have a go. Never been probably entrepreneurial in his life, but just decided this is before. So, yeah. Derek, what a story. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. Well, Thank you. it's Thank another you. story that needs to be told, Willie. Especially another for Another greatest story never told. That's it. So, Derek, it's brilliant. I think the listeners will love that this morning. So, thanks for coming in and more power to you. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks very much, guys. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions, turning your paper-based processes into organised and digital workflows. There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitisation, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work-from-anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk The board you can't afford. This is the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Tom, this week we have a very interesting guest yes. to come to pitch a question to the board you can't afford. Robert Hawken, who's the CEO and managing partner of Greenbackers Investment Capital. Greenbackers. Welcome to the show. Interesting Welcome to the show, name. Robert. Thanks very much. Thanks are you for a Celtic me. supporter with that I accent? Am. Oh, I you am. are. Yeah. The first match I ever saw back in 1990 when I came over here was a Celtic Rangers match. Oh, that would be interesting in 1990, will it? It was, I'd never encountered anything like it. It was no. an experience. Now, now we know you're a Celtic fan. Can Robert get a biscuit with his tea here? Oh, Just get a couple well. of those caramel logs. Of, Thank uh, you. Robert. So, so, Robert, give us a wee bit of the background because we don't get many, many folks from Chicago coming past the Gorbals here. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, I'm a Chicago transplant, root and branch. I've uh, been here in the UK for about 35 years. Never lost the accent. Not, neither of you. Brilliant. And, uh, <laughs> 12 on the south side of Chicago. So I live in Langside. Langside. And our offices are just five minutes away over at Barclays Eagle Labs on the, on the river. Brilliant. Uh, wife, uh, historical fiction writer. Uh, I absolutely love Glasgow. I love being a Ouija Brilliant. So uh, I founded Greenbackers Investment Capital as specialist for uh, uh, Cleantech VC, first institutional funding, uh, five of us here in Glasgow. Okay. Uh, I have a partner in London, one in Houston, all Scots. All Scots? All Scots. Wow. Uh, apart from this adopted Scots. Adopted Scots. How did you originally come, what made you come to Glasgow? I was running conferences to kind of shine a light on this sector in London. Uh -huh. And I had a guy, David Reed, who worked with Scottish Enterprise in their London office, was kind of nipping at my heels saying, you know, we can't get funds to come up to Scotland to see our, our ventures. Can you help? And I kind of looked at it and said, well, why don't we bring the ventures down here 
from Scotland to London because, uh-huh. you know, yeah, the VCs don't like to travel so much. <laughs> and and so that was an engagement. Uh, both our daughters, my my present wife, uh, you know, so Catherine uh, and my last wife, you know, our daughters were going to University of Glasgow. Okay. So we're coming back and forth. Wow. And then I happened to look in a state agent signboard and just about had whiplash. Yeah. You know, I thought, God, it's cheap up here. Let's move up here. <laughs> Compared to London, it is. So we brought Greenbackers up, re-registered the company as a Scottish business. So so when was this? This is back uh, 12 years ago. 12 yeah. years, wow. So uh, one of the guys that I met uh, on my travels was a fellow by the name of Andrew Smith. He was working with Scottish Investment Bank at the time, and we got on. And when he went private sector, come in. Okay. Uh, John Steedman, ex-BP Ventures, he was co-founder when they were making their first entries into uh, into renewables. He retired. I, I knew him. Come in. Uh, Mark Hannigan uh, used to be with Clyde Blower's uh, Capital right. yeah. back in the day. He was in Houston, but Andrew knew him. Come in. That's a quality team here. Amazing team. Yeah. Amazing team. And and it helps us do what we do uh, uh, so well now is introducing companies to capital providers in this space. Brilliant. Well, that's exactly what we've talked about on the show for a yeah. long time, Molly. Yeah. So what's your question this morning for us? So my question to the to the board that I cannot afford today is how <laughs> might we work together to accelerate the flow of private capital? You know, on our digital deal machine that we created during the pandemic, we, we now have 400 venture capital firms who are looking for deals. Wow. I want those to be Scottish deals. Here, here. Yeah. You know, so how can we work together to accelerate the flow of private capital from our 400-plus venture community fund members into the Scottish-built climate tech scale-up community, not startup, scale-up no, scale community, yep. wean them off public grant funding, and make Scotland a real epicenter for green business innovation and technology? Well, it's an amazing question. Willie, do you want to lead? Yeah, so could you give me an example of the best example that you've seen in Scotland of someone you know, bringing something to, to clean tech? One, uh, all right, I'll do a shout-out. Over at Lockerbie, there's a, a, an outfit called MacReber. They're solving two problems. They can take a hard-to-treat waste plastic uh-huh. and, and they can create a polymer out of it that they can put into tarmac to make plastic-facilitated roads, roads, so more durable roads. That's happening in Lockerbie, is it? That's happening in Lockerbie. Wow. Yeah. So you're asking what we can do to help. Well, certainly, the, the, of the businesses that we have through here, now that we know about you, now we know about what you're trying to do, we are great at connecting people. Yeah. So that we've had guests on here, you know, and we'll say, wait a minute, we had someone on three weeks ago where you should meet, right, because it would be beneficial to both. So I think that now that we'll go back and look at the people we have had on the show, the people that we know about, and not just people, so like through Sean McGrath, through Scale Up, we, now that we, you know, and Tom's great at, we have someone on, he goes, click, I know how to connect you, I know what to do here, and we, we will try and do the same. But let me give you a wee interesting story, right? And it's it, and I'm only telling you this because you brought it up. So we we are heavily involved in trying to get to net zero, right? And that'll be difficult, especially in house building. We're both involved in house building, right? But we are, 
I'm a facilities management company. So we've got a huge infrastructure in my facilities management, which is a global business, big business. Yes. But building houses is new for us. So we're trying to take the learning. So you're probably the perfect guest for me to tell you about what's happened with yeah. my development in the past few weeks. Right. So we're trying to deliver world-class houses for people to rent at a really good price, right? But one of the things we've introduced in the last few months into the whole deal is, is that over the past 20 years, we've spent about £180 million developing a system, software system, to reduce large retailers' energy use, right? And when we came to do houses, I just said to my guys in a throwaway line, why don't we see if we can tweak this to use it in houses, Right, to reduce people's energy use. Mm. The reason why people are getting so excited about this, the Scottish government, a bit through Tom as well, stirring people up, <laughs> is that the UK government set up a high-level think tank of guys from the industry. They sat for 18 months and their remit was to come up with good ideas using innovation and technology to drive people's domestic use of energy down, right? The government disbanded that body about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, because they come up with nothing, okay? <laughs> so what we have done in Scotland, Scottish First, all the things that we're doing, in about eight weeks' time, I'm going to open my first 33 apartments, which will be for rent. And we have introduced the system into the houses where we're guaranteeing that we will reduce people's energy by 15 to 25%. That's amazing. Right? So, so while he's making this available free yes. to his tenants from the knowledge from dealing with some of the world's biggest retailers. Right. So it's amazing. So where everyone's excited is that people are now coming and saying, no, you should take this product, open a factory, build it and sell it to everyone who's building houses. Right. At the moment, our focus is in building houses. Mm. But there's, So someone like you looking at that, and that might be further down the road, uh, I've not got any intentions tomorrow of setting up a factory to, do, to, to sell as a separate entity. But we're trying to do the best that we can for people here, and it's, it's no all about making money. If this device helps everyone, and it can be retrofitted to existing houses, right. then I would be happy to look at that if it was for the good of the planet and the good of the people in relation to their energy bills. It doesn't mean that it can't be good for the bottom line as well. Oh, exactly. Yeah. So no, the exactly. two are not mutually exactly. exclusive. And I exactly. think there's a perception that they are, but it's not. It's not. So you're you're talking about a potential global market for what you've just described Correct. to me. So it's a matter of how how far do you want right. to scale that? So, so let me tell you, you'd be interested in this, right? So we are going to, in about eight weeks' time, a two-minute walk from here, yeah. we're going to create a world first, a world first. We're going to build a village here with 356 apartments, and every single person that lives here, if you know nothing about tech, I've got their own green champion. Every single house has their own personal guy that will make sure that they don't waste, not one kilowatt, they don't waste one ohm in energy. I think that's a great way to facilitate and, and to, to to highlight be the potential for behavioral change. Yes. So, so Robert, you should come along because yeah. I, you, you're, you'll be, mine will be blowing. So I know you, you came here trying to answer your yeah. question, but you yeah. need to answer Willie's question now. Yeah. No, no. So I think that that, that this is, you want to be that conduit. How can we, and it's just, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's ironic that this has all happened in the last few months. So I think that the, the sector that you work in, the difference that you're trying to make, this goes very well with what we're trying to do. 
Right. But what we were trying to do was one, we're all trying to get to you know, net zero when it comes to building. And it's tough. It's really tough. It is tough. But we think we, where I want to start, I want to come up with ideas that don't cost the end user millions, right? Or thousands, really, to save hundreds. I'm trying to come up with ideas that cost them nothing that helps the planet and also helps them in the bottom line with the money for their disposable income. Well, Slajavar to that. Yeah. Right. So, so we will put you on the list to let yeah. you come and see it. So, so Robert, your question is, how do we get more capital flowing to these scale-up businesses? How do we help you? Is that, is that the essence of your... With the digital deal platform, this deal machine that we have created, yeah. we have all these investors coming in. Right. One of the things that we are lacking is uh, here in the UK, here in Scotland, is policy certainty. Right. When these comp when these funds are investing their money, right. you know, they need to have some level of confidence that uh, you know the regulatory environment is going to change on them, as we have seen happening over the last year with this right. particular government. Right. So here's yes. where we can help you. We have been lobbying and we have been vociferous uh, over the last few weeks, and we're going to continue and continue. We believe, right, that Scotland is in a unique position right, to be the world leader, right? We could become the new Saudi Arabia when it comes to selling renewables. Yes. We think that we could take all the negatives about Scotland, the wind, the rain, solar, <laughs> tidal, everything, right? We've been told by Professor Jim McDonald that we could sell 75% of all the energy, right? The renewable energy that we produce in Scotland, we could sell it to the rest of the UK, the rest of the world. And what we have been doing over the last few weeks, and we're going to continue, and we're going to ramp up, is that hopefully if we get a new Labour government, we want Scotland to get green status for tax, right? So that means that anyone who wants to invest in green technology, then that we should we do it in Singapore, we become a zone, right? So that it might be 10% rather than 28% or 40%. But we believe that if we get the right status for Scotland, and maybe even for Wales and maybe for Northern Ireland because it might work there on the coast, that that you would not be able to handle the money that would flow into Scotland to invest in these technologies. I get it. I so mean... what we'll also do for you is we will connect you into the policymakers because the point you make is uh, our foundation did a piece looking at Ireland and how they've attracted the tech investment over the past 30 years. And the certainty of policy is one of the things. So when Google look, they think, right, is a new government island going to change everything? And then they're for, because they're there for the long term. So we need Scotland to comfort global investors that we are in this for the long term. So I believe just now, that Scotland's looking for some big ideas. And I think your idea is one of the biggest. And therefore, we'll connect you into the policy makers in Scotland at the present time. And you can tell your story. Because I, I I, just feel that this is the time to do it. As Willie said, we can connect you into these things. Because once we get investors saying, yeah, Scotland is good. We've got, we're a one-stop shop. People coming here, they don't need to go through all sorts of layers. We've got a one-stop shop. We're really serious about this. Then Scotland can and should lead the world in this. Yep. And I, I have the feeling that you could be part of this. 
Well, we are prepared to do whatever it takes to make Scottish clean tech grow at an absurdly fast rate. You know, if we're going to solve the climate challenge or climate crisis, if you think we're in crisis, and I think we are. Yeah. And on the back of that, you know, we represent this sector, climate and clean tech sector, represents the business opportunity of a lifetime. Yeah. You know, so you had me at hello, you know, <laughs> so to speak. And uh, we're highly collaborative and uh, we'd be delighted to be part of that. Right. And, you know, happy to engage. So we're going to go on with us, Willie. And, Robert, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure hearing the story and I've got no doubt that we will be talking more. Thank I you. I look forward to it. Thank you. Greenbackers go. Go, go, Greenbackers. <laughs> That's one of our strap lines. <laughs> the Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions. Helping your business with document management, print and IT solutions. Go.